Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes, the movie and pop culture podcast that pins the wildest, most unpopular opinions head-to-head. Today's episode, we will be pinning 32 of the best horror movies from the 1980s in a madness bracket. We are joined again by very special guest Matt King, the host of Hoot and a Half. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Joshua Kubis, Alden Mason, and Jory Boston. Josh is currently, like, on the last two minutes of watching The Shining for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Duel of the Takes. Today, we're talking about what we've been building up to all October long, the 80s horror movie bracket, and we are joined by special guest Matt King. Yo, what's good? Happy to be back, guys. Thank you so much for having me, you know, when the Halloween season approached. And, you know, this is the best time to dive into all of these films. You guys were the first people that came to mind. So I had to text Nate. I'm like, is there any horror genre Duel of the Takes episode that I can be a part of? Because I need a really good excuse to make my girlfriend sit down and watch horror movies with me. And what better way to do that than with you guys? So thank you, Nate, for sending this to me. And I can't wait to be a part of this discussion. Heck yeah, absolutely. Uh, out of curiosity, how many movies did you have to watch for like the first time in making this? To be honest, I've watched about four or five. Some of them I'd already seen. Some of them I did not get around to. Interested to hear a lot what you guys have to say because you guys know your shit better than me. And for me, this is always a learning experience and I'm probably going to go back and watch some of them after hearing what you guys say about them. So, Well, heck yeah. I'm glad you have that level of confidence in us. <laughs> I said this is kind of a learning experience for all of us, and then Nate, you've seen every movie ever. Yeah, I've seen all 32 of these, uh, most of them multiple times, but... Of course you have. Of course you have. God damn it, Nate making us all look bad again. <laughs> well, it's okay. With, a, with the bracket-style format, what's most important is just familiarity. It's kind of like a test of what's iconic, what's like held the test of time the best. And uh, I think what's still relevant in pop culture is really what ends up usually winning our brackets. Without further ado, let's get right into it. The first fight of this bracket is a slasher movie showdown. We've got Friday the 13th, up against Nightmare on Elm Street. Ooh, this is already a tough one. Yeah, Josh, I... <laughs> I don't think this is a tough one. And I think a lot of people make this mistake every Halloween season when they want to watch a slasher film. They go, let's watch Friday the 13th, the first one. Here's what's the most disappointing thing about Friday the 13th, and maybe this is me. Jason, it really isn't in this movie, right? This is the one with the mom. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And which I appreciate the backstory, but it's one of those things I think a lot of people, you know, when they think of Friday the 13th, they associate it with Jason and they think that they're going to get this big Jason slasher horror film when they sit down and watch this movie. And it's not. And it's so disappointing. And I remember when I watched this last Halloween, I was like, oh, damn, this, where, this is just about the mom. So for me. I love Friday the 13th. I love all the other ones, but the first one is kind of disappointing, especially if you're trying to watch it with some friends. They're all going to be like, where's Jason? 
and he's not in it. Do you have a Friday the 13th movie that you will throw on though? If if you're like, where, like, all right, we got to watch the one with Jason. Like, I would say, I don't know, two or three, I guess. Well, two, he's got the bag over his head. Oh, really? He doesn't even have the hockey mask in two? Yeah, the debut of like the classic look is Friday the 13th 3. Okay, well then I'll say Friday the 13th 3. Once the mask gets involved, that's where I get involved. So for me, Nightmare on Elm Street beats this one. It's up to you guys. I actually agree with Matt completely here. Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street, both of them are iconic series, but I feel like only Nightmare on Elm Street can boast that the first movie is actually good. Yeah, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street this morning for the first time. I think because I've kind of avoided the Nightmare on Elm Street, not like on purpose, but it wasn't like something that I felt like I needed to like watch or anything watching it. I found myself really enjoying it and being really intrigued of like the lore, I guess you could say around Freddy Krueger. And I didn't think I would like care the reaction that this movie got was uh huge. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the documentary called nightmare. It's about night terrors and people who have, you know, crazy, um, sleep paralysis and they experience these certain types of like demons multiple people can't come forward and this has been known that they see this man with a hat and they're like in their bed and they can't move and they're terrified and a lot of people have like kind of kept that to themselves but this movie when it came out everyone was like oh my gosh i've had this nightmare and we think sometimes maybe as this man who wears the hat that appears in common night terrors if that's like something innately within us as humans that they're i don't know some old demon that actually is out there that's what's so freaky about this movie and they just brought that nightmare to life that was so common for a lot of people before the movie even existed so it's pretty interesting if you look into it it sounds like we're going here with uh nightmare on elm street and i i think it's probably the better choice uh what one thing that i really appreciate about the first nightmare on elm street is how it takes like the slasher genre but then adds like a high fantasy element to it and like that the killer has like magical powers and attacks people in their sleep and stuff like that it definitely allows for like some more creative kills and kind of like laid the groundwork for like i think like movies like saw and stuff like that where it got a lot more gory and a lot less like just stabs and you know different types of head trauma and shit like that what i will give props to friday the 13th because i'm also going with nightmare but what i will give friday the 13th is that say like your halloween like that's a movie you could watch like on its own and you don't really need the sequels or anything to get like the full enjoyment out of it at the end of friday the 13th i do like want to see more which is something i can't say for like a lot of these like slasher franchises. Nightmare on Elm Street's taking it. Some cult classics going head to head here. We've got Pumpkinhead up against killer clowns from outer space. Anyone sitting on a take here? <laughs> I saw I watched both of these movies and I really I really liked Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I thought it was a really fun watch. And like I was kind of hoping that with Pumpkinhead to be another like fun, like cult classic uh, horror movie that I would get enjoyment out of. And I there is some there is a lot to like about it. I, I think the visuals and the practical effects are really good, but outside of that, there's really not a lot for me, as where Killer Clowns from Outer Space, it's so like outlandish and so fun to watch. Like throw that movie on like whenever and have a good time, I think.
Josh Wilson, I didn't watch any of these. I picked Pumpkinhead because I watched the trailer and it looks more spookier than Killer Clowns because Killer Clowns looks like a stoner movie. The space, no one can eat. In space, no one can eat ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> like this is something you have to be just stoned out of your mind to buy. But if you think it's pretty good, I'll go with it. There's a web series I watched called Big Top Burger and they got the name from a burger stand at the carnival and killer clowns so it's a pretty big deep cut and I, that's the only reason i picked killer clowns so matt i think uh killer clowns from outer space if you had the opportunity to watch it i think it would be one that you kind of found a lot of enjoyment in it feels very similar to something like um 50s or 60s like alien invasion movie but instead of being like this actual threat it's like these stupid looking clowns and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It definitely is more comedy than it is horror. Like the characters take the situation seriously, and that's kind of where like the humor comes from. I think I like Pumpkinhead more for being like a genuine kind of like horror film. And I think there's some really cool like kills and stuff in it. I, if I had to watch one of these, I'm going Killer Clowns from Outer Space every day of the week. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Killer Clowns. Up next, we've got the Little Fuckers matchup. We got Gremlins versus Critters. <laughs> so, Nate, tell us why Critters is better than Gremlins. I wish I could. <laughs> I think this one's actually probably the most obvious out of the first round so far. I think Gremlins is clearly the better movie. Uh, Critters is kind of, I don't want to say a derivative of Gremlins, but it came out after. And although it was in production before, it just, it feels like they knew what was popular. And then they were like, oh shit, we got to like get this out there, like straight to video release. Like kids are watching little monster movies now. And Gremlins is like really fun because it's like a couple different things all in one. It's like a fan, like a family movie kind of but it's also like a monster movie, but it's also a Christmas movie. It's like- Yes, I have such a soft spot for Christmas meets horror. I think it's just like, oh, just such a really great like juxtaposition between a, a time where it's everything's supposed to be very warm and happy and just terror gets involved. Same thing with Krampus, I love. I love the movie Better Watch Out, which is a great movie if you guys haven't seen it. And Gremlins, my favorite, my, and it's my favorite Christmas song, uh, uh, Christmas Baby Please Come Home by Darling Love. And it's like he's walking through the town, there's snow, and it's happy, and it's Christmas, and just terror is about to come. It's just, oh, I love it. Fun fact, the uh, town is the same town from Back to the Future. Uh, Joe Dante used the same set as Robert Zemeckis. Uh, they just covered it in snow. Oh, really? That's Is that the Universal lot? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like 10 minutes from my house right now. I'll just go <laughs> see if I can find any gremlins or a time machine. <laughs> yeah, Critters is just a lot more of like, uh, it's kind of more of like a typical alien invasion movie. But instead of the aliens being like some like intellectual being, they're like these dumb little furry monster things that look like porcupines. The creature design of gremlins is so much cooler because I like how there's like the cute one and then there's like the creepy monster one. Yes. The pilot episode for the Twilight Zone, I believe. Oh. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Can you imagine if they use the like the slogans and the lines on critters on gremlins? Like gremlins, they buy when you've got gremlins, don't feed them after midnight or whatever. When you've got gremlins, you better not. <laughs> <laughs> I think gremlins is getting the getting the first round here over Critters. Um, but yeah, shoutouts to Critters 3, Leonardo DiCaprio's first movie ever. <laughs> 
wait. It started a legacy. Uh, same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street. Which, yep. Without Critters, we wouldn't have Django Unchained. <laughs> Leo DiCaprio's in Critters? Critters 3. <laughs> uh... <laughs> we just did John Carpenter movies uh, a couple weeks ago. Now we've got his hit film, They Live, up against another cult classic, The Return of the Living Dead. I think this is actually a serious debate at this point. I'll say this was the first movie I watched right when Nate sent the list over to me, and I really enjoyed They Live. Though it was like very kind of like deep and artsy and a lot of like social commentary, I did find it really intriguing and i didn't realize that that meme where i came here to do two things to kick ass and chew bubble gum and i'm all out of bubble gum i'm like oh this is where that's from <laughs> yeah. i really liked it and so i picked it but the return of the living dead to be honest and it's, it's, i feel so bad i've never seen it and i know josh i think you're a big fan of it because i listened to one of the podcasts and Maybe you were kind of advocating this one. I actually haven't seen Return of the Living the Dead, but I have seen They Live. I do really like They Live. Yeah, Nate is the biggest advocate for Returning of the Living Dead here. Oh, okay. That's who it is. Whoever that guy is, Nate. Uh, Nate, are you on here? Just a guest that we have on there sometimes. <laughs> I love both of these movies, and I, I agree. There is some really cool, like, subtext and, like, themes to They Live. But I think there's also some to Return of the Living Dead. It feels very... Um, like kind of cold war centered especially with like the twist end it's a zombie movie but it all takes place at like a graveyard and like there's like these like punk rockers they just like to hang out at the graveyard because it's the 80s and that's what they do there i guess when the zombie outbreak thing starts to happen they're like well we got to get rid of like the bodies before they like turn into zombies so then they start burning them and then the government is like oh well if we just drop a bomb on the whole thing then it'll work but like the the way the disease gets spread in this universe is through through the like the ashes of the dead and then so like they create a much larger zombie outbreak from the incident in the film at the end i know it's kind of spoilery but i think it adds a lot to like the themes of of what like that kind of punk rock mentality was in the in the 80s in a way that's both campy and like true to that that kind of like cold war tension of you know they could drop a, a bomb on us at any time and things like that so i think there's definitely some subtext to both but yeah they live is probably a little bit more iconic with like the whole obey thing and putting the sunglasses on and the seven minute long fight sequence in the alleyway see i really like they live i have not seen return of the living dead but based on what nate was saying about it in the episode where we ranked his top 10 favorite horror movies of all time how influential return of the living dead is was on zombies as a whole and as a subgenre to horror i feel like can't really be understated here because as much as i like they live it doesn't really feel like a horror movie to me like the only thing that i would say like is kind of horror about it are like the alien zombies that he sees when he puts the sunglasses on it's almost like a soft sci-fi dystopian movie that's set in like in the 80s like slightly maybe it was like a little future for that like in the 90s or something i don't remember but to me like between both of these movies on the 80s horror bracket i feel like we have to go with return of the living dead here jory good point you've converted me i say return of the living dead they live is like a twilight zone episode and is it horror eh, i say return of the living dead. but it is fucking dope yeah it is dope i respect it things about the zombie genre that derive from return of the living dead um zombies wanting to eat brains that's from this movie, which came out in 1985, which isn't like 
that long ago, really, when you think about like how long zombies have been a thing in pop culture, but also zombies being able to run. They've always been these slow, like walking creatures that'll just inevitably catch up to you. But for the first time ever, in my opinion, zombies were scary in a movie in Return of the Living Dead because they were fully animated. They could run, they could eat brains, they had like strength and like they weren't just like this disposable corpse. So yeah, thank you, Jory. I agree. Hooray. Return of the Living Dead. It's moving on. We've got the Lost Boys up against Children of the Corn. I haven't seen the Lost Boys, but Children of the Corn, I really love. <laughs> okay, I gotta say, Children of the Corn sucks. Damn. <laughs> really? <laughs> Children of the Corn, I always thought was terrifying. It was always the movie that you saw on the shelves at Blockbuster when you were a kid, and you were like, oh my gosh, that looks scary. I bet that's really scary. And then I finally watched it on a date like two years ago around Halloween. I mean, this girl always sat down. We were like, oh, Children of the Corn. Yeah, this is going to be really good. And the whole time we were like, this is not holding up. It's, I, it, dude, it's, it's boring. Or it's just, I don't know. It doesn't do it for me. I had much higher expectations about Children of the Corn. The Lost Boys is like an 80s classic. Is it horror? Yeah, it gets kind of terrifying. It's like badass. It's almost like the Breakfast Club meets you know, vampires, it's it's really good. I don't think it's, like, going to hold up further down this bracket, but I think it's a better movie than Children of the Corn. I You will get bored of Children of the Corn compared to The Lost Boys. If you're like me and have a Gen Xer as a father, he probably loves The Lost Boys. <laughs> Children of the Corn, to me, was one of the first horror movies I watched, and I wasn't scared of it because I was a child, and, like, the children are the monsters of the movie. So it's like, uh, but I guess I could maybe seeing it at the time being a little creepier to people, but um, I think, like, the performances across the board are kind of a little too over the top for what, like, the script is, and there's not really a whole lot of subtleties to it. Not that The Lost Boys is a particularly subtle movie ever, but at least it has, like, cool imagery. It's got, like, like that kind of punk rock aesthetic that is also present in uh, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, I'm with you, Matt. I think The Lost Boys should move on over Children of the Corn. Yeah. The performance of the main kid in Children of the Corn is such his performance is just so funny to me <laughs> uh isaac or malachi uh the one that has like the hat oh that's that's isaac josh is like children of the corn but ironically yes <laughs> <laughs> i do think there is some good camp to children of the corn when he's like tied on like the corn like cross and everything like there's like it's it's so like ridiculous I'm also going to go with uh, Lost Boys on here just because like the whole vampire hunter thing I've always thought is like kind of cool, but it's really hit or miss whether something does it right or not. And I feel like the Lost Boys really did do it right for what it was. I think it's a lot of fun, and maybe I am a Gen X dad. <laughs> yeah, when my dad, when he wrote Children of the Corn, like, he was, like, on so much cocaine, and he just, like, hammered that out, like, in a day. So I hate to do this to my dad, but, yeah, the loss. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Matt, I don't think that we should be understating how much cocaine that Stephen King did while writing Children of the Corn, either. <laughs> you know what time... <laughs> One time I convinced like two of my roommates that I had been living with for like an entire year that my dad was Stephen King because like the movie it was coming out and like one of them really didn't want to see it. I'm like, come on, dude. Like my dad spent so much time like writing that book and he looked at me and like paused and was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Your dad is Stephen. This whole time. I've never known. <laughs> 
<laughs> Dude, no, my dad is not Stephen King, but I couldn't believe that he actually did have a moment where he completely thought of my dad. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. But yeah, Lost Boys. <laughs> All right, Lost Boys it is. Moving on. Up next, we've got the Battle of the Werewolves here. We've got an American Werewolf in London and The Howling, both werewolf movies that came out in 1981. Like, what are what are the odds? I'm just looking at the poster for American Werewolf in London. I love that the tagline is from the director of the Animal House, a different kind of animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, John Landis is awesome. Did a lot of comedies back in the day. Did uh, Animal House, Blues Brothers, and then... Did this kind of like horror comedy, American Werewolf in London, but just because it's a horror comedy doesn't mean it doesn't have the scares. I think it's the best werewolf transformation scene in film history. It also has some some really cool moments with like like his like best friend turns into a zombie, and that's kind of like Shaun of the Dead esque with like okay, he's got a, a like a friend that's kind of like half dead and just a figure of his imagination, and then he's like turning into a werewolf. It's got all these different like little horror elements sprinkled throughout, and is still very funny and also kind of moving but the howling definitely a more by the numbers like werewolf kind of movie and also some like kind of funny like meta humor about the entertainment industry too because like the main lady's a news anchor which is kind of like tongue-in-cheek when the whole werewolf thing starts happening and the way that like the news is reported on it i love both of these movies uh, i loved american werewolf in london it's been a movie that i've been really wanting to see it's always getting suggested to me and i love doing these podcasts with you guys because these are like the right times where i can actually sit down and watch them and i really enjoyed it i thought it was funny terrifying and had a really great plot and that's my pick i loved it Something really uh, wholesome, I think, about American Werewolf in London, now that I'm looking at the IMDb page. Apparently there's a remake in development with John and Max Landis writing it. I think that got cancelled. That got that got cancelled. Okay, something not so wholesome about an American Werewolf in London. I'll vote for it anyway, because I feel bad. American Werewolf in London has been my on my watch list for so long, because I just think I would really like the movie yeah same actually yeah it almost made my top 10 horror movies of all time list i think it's i think it's really great and yeah it blends that horror and comedy very very well it's a it's a great script and it's definitely aged well too like i don't know if you felt this when you were watching it matt but like it didn't feel like you were watching an old movie especially through like the like the dialogue yes Completely agree. Sweet. American Werewolf in London is moving on. Up next, we've got two horror anthologies going head to head. We've got the blockbuster hit Creep Show, and we've got Cat's Eye, a bit more of a cult classic anthology here. Has anyone seen these? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not a big fan of anthologies, but I know that Creep Show is really good from what I've heard. Is that true, Barry? It is. <laughs> Listen, if I wanted to see Demonic Cats, I'd just go watch Catch. <laughs> Okay, so because Cat's Eye isn't as good as Cat's, I'm voting Creep Show. Yeah, I definitely am on the Creep Show bandwagon here. I think Cat's Eye has like one or two good stories in it, but I think all four. Yeah, I think there's four in Creep Show. All four of the segments and the inter like cutting story that connects them together in Creep Show are fantastic. They're all straight from the comic book and they're all extremely stylized and really fun. I think Creep Show is one of those movies that if you haven't seen it, this Halloween season, definitely check it out. It has like a good segment for everyone, depending on what you're afraid of. If you're afraid of monsters, if you're in a 
uh, sloppy marriage, if you're uh, scared of cockroaches, there's a great segment that closes out the film. Yeah, also uh, Matt's dad stars in it. Your dad, Stephen King, is in uh, an entire segment. Shout out to Pops. Gotta give him credit. All right. Well, speaking of Stephen King, we've got the uh, adaptation of his movie about a killer car. Uh, Christine up against the fog two John Carpenter movies going head to head early again I saw the fog <laughs> oh did you like it I, I I thought it was all right I was a little underwhelmed to be honest just say no Josh well there's things that I really like and I mean when we finally like see like the pirate ghost crew I think they look cool but we really don't get a good look at them until the very end which I found a little disappointing I get it's called the fog it's about like the fog like coming in slowly like built to that i don't know i don't think it was paced all that well i'd rather watch halloween or another carpenter movie before i ever watch the fog again yeah i think christine kind of thrives on the concept being so shit but then the movie actually being like really well done we were kind of talking about that in the carpenter episode but like the way that the car gets wrecked and then it like fixes itself and the way that it's shot looks awesome but then also when the car is going on these like rampages and stuff the way that they frame and and compose like the headlights it, it's like a normal movie monster but it's literally just a sentient car i think christine is the better of the two movies by kind of a lot actually yeah i picked christine the idea of a car coming to life scares me so i didn't see either one of them but i picked christine nate do we want to uh quiz matt on the voice of the car christine no <laughs> wait it talks <laughs> no so in the john carpenter episode we quizzed alden on who voiced the car and I set it up like a who wants to be a millionaire question, like gave him multiple choices and it wasn't any of them. And then I was like, the car doesn't talk. Why? Like, why would the car talk? <laughs> it's Owen Wilson. It's me, Christine. Wow. I'm going to kill you. Wow. I actually have headlights in this movie. Oh, gosh. Because <laughs> the track isn't always lit. Hey, you. Yeah. You. You want to help support Duel of the Takes and look sexy as all hell doing it? Well, we have a great offer for you. Right now, Pierre Arden is offering a special deal on their whole inventory of European-style timepieces and wristwatches for our fans. Head over to pierrearden.com and use promo code NATEM25 at checkout to get 25% off your order. At Pierre Arden, their focus is to design cutting-edge timepieces alongside precision manufacturing, making every watch a true masterpiece to be proud of. I'm a sucker for a good deal, so I bought one myself. The Complaiso, which is currently on sale for $30 off its regular price. Plus, with promo code NATEM25 at checkout, you'll save an additional 25% off your order. You'll be walking away with a great fashion accessory and a way to keep time without pulling out your phone. All for a great deal. Again, head over to PierreArden.com. That's P-I-E-R-R-E-A-R-D-E-N dot C-O-M to pick out a nice watch for yourself or a loved one and use promo code NATEM25 at checkout. Save 25% off your order. It helps the show and it'll help you make an impression wearing a sexy new timepiece on your wrist. On the right side of the bracket now, we've got The Fly up against Reanimator. These are two Cronenberg movies, I believe. Yeah. I just learned that right now. I knew it about The Fly. I didn't know it about Reanimator. I was today years old when I found that out. Has anyone seen either of these movies? 
Um, I saw The Fly many years ago, and I love Jeff Goldblum and that scene where he's, uh, you know, he's like killing his face off in front of the mirror. That's terrifying and has always stayed with me and has been in my nightmares. So I picked The Fly. Yeah, I'm very familiar with The Fly because Goldblum, all that fun stuff. Reanimator is a lot of fun, but The Fly is just vastly superior. So I think like the Reanimator kind of has a bit more of like those comedy elements and doesn't really stick to the horror that well, but they used 40 gallons of blood in the making of this movie, which I think is fucking insane. It's definitely a gory movie, but it uses the gore as more of a joke. The transformation is genuinely disgusting, and I think it's... It's Cronenberg's effect to the best extent. I think when like his teeth are falling out and like he starts to grow like these little like wings out of his back, it's like really unsettling. And then once it gets to more to like later in the film and it goes more like, yeah, his face is falling off and stuff kind of loses its subtle kind of scares for me. But I do think it's a better acted movie for sure. Goldblum's it's probably his best performance, I'd say. Uh, wait a minute, Nate. Did you see Thor Ragnarok? He was so good in that movie. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. The fly it is. Up next, we've got two slasher classics. We've got Sleepaway Camp up against Halloween 2. Oh, man. I just am very curious. Who has actually seen Sleepaway Camp? I have not. I have not either. It's, to me one of the best like movie twists of all time like it's so good where i don't even want to like if you haven't seen sleepaway camp like check it out for like the ending alone i think is like so good yeah it's got some really like good kills too for an early slasher movie like the when they the chef gets killed in such like a creepy ass way with like the boiling water it's like oh fuck like first sleepaway camp movie is is really awesome through and through it's like a lesser friday the 13th but then that twist ending like changes your perspective on the whole movie and you're like damn okay and it is very similar like the the premise is very similar to friday the 13th with like it's it's at like a summer camp where it, it the difference with friday the 13th is you actually like see people like in the camp it's not like right before like a camp opens yeah the whole premise of it is super interesting and the the main um character you're following is just it's intriguing like the whole time you're just trying to figure out why why is this character doing this and there's twists and turns to get there it's one of those where it's like you watch the movie for the first time and then you think about the journey how to get to that and you you you're impressed with the movie more and more as you think about it i also think like the twist ending of halloween 2 kind of screws up the rest of the franchise like they went down this path of okay well we have to make a sequel to halloween because it made so much money it made what 75 million dollars on a three hundred thousand dollar budget or something like obviously we got to make more carpenter originally wanted these to be like an anthology like every year a new movie new horror movie comes out around halloween that is loosely based on halloween and had like takes place on halloween but the studio's like no 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 we need to know what happens after the end of that movie and he was like no it's open-ended for a point leaves the movie we get this kind of sequel churned out a couple years later and i think there's definitely some great elements and i think that like a couple things are elevated they also kind of better establish like michael myers as a character as well but then when they get to the point where they reveal that they're like relation it's like oh great 
So now this is a franchise. I think it's a big bro moment. I think for the the clever writing and the twist, I think Sleepaway Camp's taking it for me personally. I agree with you guys. Yeah, I agree with you too. I did look up the plot synopsis, and that is pretty wild. Dude, especially for the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The twist in Halloween 2 was so bad, they retconned it for the 2018 movie. <laughs> They've actually retconned it a couple times. All right, moving on to the next round, we've got... Two very kind of uh, Halloween-centric movies. We've got Fright Night up against Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. If anyone knows me, they know what I want to win this round. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Wait, Halloween 3 is the one that's kind of like a Twilight Zone Black Mirror episode, right? Yes, and it's perfect. I saw uh, the remake of Fright Night and I quite enjoyed it, but I have no idea how the original is. I think you'd like the original then. If you like the remake, they're very, very similar, but like obviously one of them is like the modern. It's kind of like one of those remakes where it's like the plot and the characters are exactly the same, but like the techniques and shot composition is just a difference between 80s cinematography and like 2010 cinematography gotcha oh it's a neighborhood that has like monsters in it you've got like this guy who's a vampire slayer you've got this potential threat and all of this like kind of like spooky environments but in like a domestic setting is is cool but halloween three season of the witch is a masterpiece well yeah let's go with that I mean, I'm perfectly fine with going with Halloween 3 in that case. I can't really make a strong case for a movie I haven't seen. <laughs> now that I've watched Halloween 3, I'm really in agreement with you, Nate, where I feel like this could have been the movie version of The Twilight Zone, where if every year they did something like this, I think would have been really neat. Absolutely. I think that the big downfall of it is that it is Halloween 3 and not Halloween 2. Because at that point, it was too late. Halloween 3, like, it's literally not even in the same universe. Like, there's shots of, like, people watching the movie Halloween in the movie, in the movie Halloween 3. Yeah, in the movie Halloween 3, it's like Halloween is on television. And they're like, and here it is, the horror classic that started it all. John Carpenter's <laughs> Halloween. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I think one of the actresses... From the first Halloween, doesn't she play the mother in Halloween 3? Yeah, I think that that's a case of really unfortunate studio circumstances leading to the demise of what could have been a fantastic franchise. Speaking of masterpieces, we've got two going head-to-head -head in the first round again. We've got The Evil Dead 2 and Videodrome. <sighs> Has anyone else seen Videodrome? <laughs> okay, I'm fighting this fight on my own. I've seen Evil Dead 1, I enjoyed it, and I watched Evil Dead 2, and I enjoyed it even more. I love the whole story behind Evil Dead that they made it with such a low budget and became this huge cult classic. It is funny, terrifying. Yeah, I would argue that it's easily the best execution of the horror comedy that we've seen. And I, it's really kind of sad that nothing has been able to top it. Like, there have been other standouts that are like, oh, horror comedies, but they kind of lean more into the comedy than the horror. What works about Evil Dead 2 is it had Evil Dead 1 as its basis, and it was already kind of like, okay, so this is going to be like the, you know, scary movie where everybody gets possessed by demons. But Evil Dead 2 just skews like a little wacky with it. And it works both on the horror front and on the comedy front, which I think is where like modern horror comedies are really lacking. Cool. I'm just going to sing the praises of Videodrome real quick, but I 100% agree with your stance. 
Jory and I think Evil Dead 2 should move on. But if you haven't seen Videodrome, David Cronenberg, the same guy who did the direction and the creature effects for The Fly and Reanimator. Uh, and this is definitely, I would say, his his best movie all the way through. It's a lot more sci-fi than like great, great, great body horror, great practical effects. Uh, if you like to watch Heads Explode, this is the movie for you. There's a lot of really funny jokes about like television and radio waves and things like that. And uh, James Woods is the lead and he's fantastic in it. I think it was kind of like, I think it's the reason he's got like this cult status as an actor is because he's in this like cult classic movie and then later in his career went on to do like more popular and successful films. But Evil Dead 2 is the ultimate comedy. It's the ultimate horror movie. It's the ultimate sequel that's secretly a remake. It's, it's just, it's fantastic. Probably my favorite Sam Raimi movie. Well, we're having a rematch to the first round of this bracket. Friday the 13th Part 3 versus Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. So this is the first Friday the 13th movie to have Jason as we know him, hockey mask and all. But I would argue this is the best Nightmare on Elm Street movie by a landslide. Mm. Mm. I hate to do it to him twice. <laughs> you know? Because, like, Jason Jason does have a place as, like, an icon of horror. But my biggest issue with him is, like, that's the best thing about him. His iconography. Like, the ch-ch-ch. And, like, the fucking uh, hockey mask and the machete. But, like, his movies have always been kind of lacking. <laughs> Yeah, I think what really holds part three back the most is it's finally Jason like coming into his own and becoming this horror icon that everyone knows him as. But the movie was ambitiously a 3D release for some reason in the middle of the 80s when that trend was not popular at all. And so like people thought that this was like, oh, this is like going to be great. Like it's a slasher movie in 3D. Didn't a Jaws sequel do that? Yeah, Jaws 3D also did that, which same studio, I think that was the summer after. Yeah, and so it's riding this like 3D gimmick and all of like the kills are framed in a way where it's like, oh, like the knife's coming toward the screen and it's really hokey and not in like a ironic way. Like they're the characters are all taking it seriously. It's not like this is like a spoof of the first two or anything, but it, it, it's immediately not watchable like by today's standards. And I think like in a more fair world, if it was like Friday the 13th, four, five or six, like those are all more solid movies with like Jason's iconography. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors outshines the rest of that franchise um, by like a lot because it has this awesome premise of you've got this supernatural monster. But what if there were kids with similar supernatural abilities that could find a way to combat him and fight him on his own ground? And to me, it's like, the best of two worlds it's kind of like this full-on horror movie but it's also this like teen coming of age movie and like the, this like power acceptance and in a way kind of like social acceptance movie too it's like breakfast club meets nightmare on elm street it's what they wanted new mutants to be <laughs> exactly yeah i'm just kind of going based on the uh the opinions of the panel here because i have not seen these yeah like i said it before i hate to do it to the boy but i'm voting for nightmare on elm street to go ahead yep i'm voting for nightmare on elm street as well up next we've got child's play versus hellraiser i i'd say two other 80s horror icons that are like one tier below freddie and jason okay i adore child's play one of my favorite things about it and i wish that the new adaptation um took on this angle but the way that you don't see the doll moving for like 
a good portion of the film, like actually physically moving. It's almost like this Jaws element where the camera angle is just really low and he's just creeping around the hallways. I love that. And I love that it built the suspense. I think it would have been really ruined if you just saw this animated doll immediately moving and start cutting up people. I just think it has a really good element of like suspense and it's crafted really well. Hellraiser is good. It's terrifying, but it gets just kind of gory and gross. And I just like, am not that fond of it. I like Child's Play more than uh, Hellraiser. When she's about to throw Chucky in the fire and then you see Chucky like unnaturally move for the first time, there's something so be and well like directed about it. I don't know. I just love that scene. Yeah, I think that that's also part of what Matt is saying too, because like the movie opens up with like, um, you know, Charles Lee Ray, he get, he's getting like gunned down in the toy store and he does this voodoo ritual to put his soul in a doll. It's really fucking dumb. But then like the next what is it like half hour 40 minutes before that point we don't see him moving and it is this like almost jaws like element where you forget that it's just a fucking doll and when he does start moving you're like holy shit what the fuck yeah there's like an hour of the movie where you're like wait maybe like the kid is just making it all up and that's like what some of the characters are thinking and you're like well is the twist gonna be the kid did all the murdering like the first time i watched this movie i was like it, it has a lot more of like a mystery element which i like and then, of course, in the last, like, 20 minutes or so, it gives you, like, everything you could see with, like, a scary doll premise. Damn, the director of this movie, uh, Tom Holland, also directed Fright Night. Maybe I will have to check that out. I, I personally like Hellraiser a lot. I've seen Hellraiser certainly a lot more than I have seen Child's Play. I kind of agree with you, Matt, that, like, it just, it just gets, like, gory and gross. And the things I don't like about it the most is, like, how overly sexualized everything kind of is, which... I get it's trying to be like Lovecraftian and like, you know, Clive Baker doesn't really hide his inspiration of HP Lovecraft at all. I know this is a horror bracket, but child's play really taking on that dark comedy aspect really helped it age well for me. Well, I love how much of it is played straight in the original one. And like, obviously the sequels go way more toward comedy. Yeah. The sequels go way overboard. Let's advance child's play. I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm done with it. Psycho 2, Poltergeist. Th these last four of the first round are insane. All right, Josh, take it away. All right, before I go, I'm, let's have Nate talk about Poltergeist for a little bit because I really don't want to downplay that Poltergeist is a very great horror movie. I think I think Poltergeist is great. I don't think it's like untouchable by any means. But when you give someone like Steven Spielberg, who produced the movie, but then also kind of really took over because the director left halfway through production, you give him like a straight horror movie where he's always danced between this like sci-fi and like adventure. What really thrives here is like the character characters and like this family unit and then it being this ghost movie and it goes all out with all the ghost stuff if you like more subtle kind of like oh chairs are moving and you know glasses are stacking in the background and weird stuff like that first hour of this movie is going to be really like well delivering but if you want to see some more like there's like hell portals and like ghosts and spirits and clown like toy clowns coming to life and a giant tree and all these other like horror monster set pieces it, this movie has it all and it's it's extremely like balanced i found a really good uh i didn't watch all of it there's a really good hour video essay retrospective on psycho 2 i gotta send to you nate great <laughs> i'd rather just watch psycho 2 again in all honesty <laughs> or red letter media's video on psycho 2 i'm sorry i wanted to share something i think you would enjoy nate i just don't watch hour-long video essays 
I do. I guess maybe if it was on something I really cared about. Nate's too cool to watch videos about film. No, I'm just too busy making videos about film, Josh. I'm back. I'm back. Oh, dude, Poltergeist is a classic oh i mean it is so uh terrifying and true and like the moment where that tree like comes in and takes the kid out of it and out of the poltergeist will always have a really close place in my heart like one um i don't know if i want to talk about it but, but i used to be really close to steven spielberg and this was one of the first movies i had to sit down and like watch with him and seeing him light up and share all of his uh thoughts and passion about the movie and and it was the first time i had seen it and him watching me like react to it it was really cool to like have that experience because he wrote uh poltergeist and i'm pretty sure he kind of directed it but there's like a lot who actually directed it but you can tell that this was like his baby that he really wanted to have a lot of control over and um because steven doesn't like have hasn't like written that many movies but this was one that like he really wanted to uh bring to life with his just you know fear of those and uh i just i love poltergeist fuck yeah i do too i really do this is the my first horror movie how do how do i top that he watched poltergeist with steven spielberg okay <laughs> Josh, just say that you watch Psycho 2 while murdering somebody in a bathroom. <laughs> Albert Hitchcock came back from the dead and watched it with me. Who the hell is Albert Hitchcock? Whoa. Is that, um, wait a second, is that Batman's butler? I know Josh loves Psycho 2, and Psycho is one of his all-time favorite movies, so the fact that this this uh, sequel lives up to the hype for him, I, I want to hear it. Okay, so I love the original Psycho. Like, it is on my top 10 favorite movies of all time, probably. Uh, I think it's one of the most iconic films of all time. Alfred Hitchcock, I think, created a masterpiece. I saw Psycho for the first time. It was probably like 14 or 15. And I knew there was a sequel. Never like looked into it. Thought that's unnecessary. Nah, not for me. And then finally, I think it was two Octobers ago. I think it was like October 2018. I was like, all right, let's give Psycho 2 a shot. And I was in shock how much I love this movie and how much to me it is like one of the well-executed sequels to an iconic movie ever. It was. It takes place 22 years after the original Psycho. The performances like from Anthony Perkins, you would think like, okay, it's been over 20 years. Like, it this could like be like not very good. It could be like Harrison Ford, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where it might seem a little unnatural. It felt like no time has passed. Like I, when I look at Anthony Perkins in Psycho 2, I still see norman bates and they did this like genius thing where they could have tried to make it like a hitch spence thriller again but no they're like no we're in the 80s we're making this a slasher and not only like it's a slasher we're taking the characterization of norman bates that you saw in the original film we're going to make him a likable almost protagonist even though you think the whole movie he's doing like all the killings are causing all the disruption in the movie when in reality it's another it's somebody else and i don't want to spoil it because how they connected things to the original psycho i thought was genius if you even like vaguely like the original psycho you're going to be genuinely surprised by psycho 2 on how good it was like this movie had no reason to be good this should have been like just a cash grab by the studio trying to just get a popular IP to make some money. But there was actually like work and like solid script writing put into this movie. I adore this movie. And like the other Psycho sequels, eh, maybe didn't do the best, but Psycho 2 was like, whoa, this was actually really well executed. Uh, Poltergeist, I do think, though, has some really weird pacing issues. And my biggest problem with Poltergeist is in the second act, 
they introduce that character that's going to give you the exposition on going to kind of like give you the thing on the spirits. And then in the third act, they bring in another character just like that to give you the same explanation over again for some reason and that really bugged me so this movie i think yeah but that the, the second one's live action yoda which is lit <laughs> i guess i i never <laughs> and like the last 10 minutes i i mean are great when like the house starts crumbling like all that is so good but when it comes to that subgenre of like demonic uh possession i guess you'd call it I just rather watch The Exorcist. I think The Exorcist is a much better movie. <laughs> I don't know if Psycho 2 could move on here, but I just wanted to say, like, Psycho 2 is definitely worth a watch. You know what? This is cool of the takes. You explained that so well. Like, I was like, I'm, you got my class on, like, you argued that so well. You convinced me to watch Psycho 2. You have done your homework. You really appreciate this film. I do. <laughs> I'll let you have it. Let's move on to the Psycho 2. That was so well said, Dory. I, I... Thank you. That's Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Psycho 2 is Josh's goofy movie <laughs> it really is i agree i like it was well said thank you thank you all right well we're going into another hard fought round here we've got john carpenter's the thing up against stanley kubrick's the shining Nate, Nate, i hate that you put these two together everybody does <laughs> it's a mess of a corner <laughs> I finally watched the thing. I've been meaning to see the thing for a long time, and I finally watched it like a few nights ago, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was everything that I was expecting it to be, but when it's paired up against The Shining, I adore The Shining, and I love Doctor Sleep, too. If you guys haven't seen it, it's the perfect like sequel to it all, and my voice is The Shining. I, I love both of these movies. The Thing is one of my favorite movies of all time, though, and The Shining is definitely one of my favorite horror movies, but even among like Stanley Kubrick's filmography, I feel like it's not quite my favorite it's still up there but like oh my god i love the thing so much i do too i'm kind of with you on this one yeah i love both of these movies as well and we talked about the thing a lot a couple weeks ago when we were doing john carpenter and it's like yeah that's definitely his best movie and i think because of that i kind of want to go for the thing because like the shining might not even be in my top five stanley kubrick films which i know is kind of wild to think we'll find out <laughs> like i love things about the production design and i love like the location and all of that stuff feels awesome but the thing has those elements too but it kind of ups it in the suspense and like the mystery of it all because like there's nothing subtle about Jack Nicholson's performance in The Shining. You know off the bat this dude's going to turn at some point. Whereas like in The Thing, you don't know who who is The Thing. You don't know who the monster is. It's also changing. And there's like all these great diverse kind of kills in the same way as like Poltergeist in terms of like the different monster elements. There's like the spider head thing. There's like there's so many different things in The Thing that make it scary. Whereas The Shining, it's like, yeah, there's like a shot of like a creepy lady like melting in the bath. And there's a shot of a furry giving a guy a blowjob. But like those aren't monsters <laughs> in the movie. No, oh, The Shining's going to be like my Beauty and the Beast. This is, oh, you know, it's three, I guess. I mean, it sucks that one of these has to go in like fucking last place. <laughs> I'm kind of with you, Matt. We're like, I, The Shining is really, really fresh in my mind right now. But so is The Thing. I, I saw The Thing like a month ago for the first time. These are two completely different movies when it comes to the approach of storytelling. Like, 
Nate was saying when it comes to subtlety. You're kind of waiting to see what happens next. Like, both of these movies have really brilliant pacing. Oh, this is tough. Back going all the way tip-top. It was the tip-top winner. I assume we were all going to be agreeing on The Shining here. Oh, I think the thing that's uh, really coming down to it for me, though, is between both of these, they both have fantastic suspense. But I think that uh, the thing delivers more on its suspense with the heightened moments of like, oh, fuck, there's a fucking monster. Use the fucking flamethrower. To me, the highs of the thing where you are like, holy fucking shit, are like the shining just doesn't really have anything to compare yeah i mean if this was my podcast i would be like oh the shining is going on but yeah i've got to stick with my gut here and say that the shining is better everything from the opening helicopter shots to like the fluidity and like the camera's always moving in that film like i think if you were to point out one film that has the most like kubrickian cinematography and style it's the shining might not be his best movie, but it's the most invocative of what people associate with his style. Plus the fact that it's such a solidly acted horror film and the fact that it changes so much about the, the Stephen King novel, I think is something that it should be admired in making a horror adaptation. Because if you don't change things about The Shining, you get the miniseries, which I don't know if any of you have seen The Shining miniseries. Yeah, Matt's dad was really pissed about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think Kubrick did a tremendous job where like like these Stephen King movies like are some of them are really well made, but then like The Shining kind of feels like a a higher tier, if you know what I mean, than like other movies based on like a Stephen King novel. Absolutely. I mean, superior acting, superior storytelling, better directing. I just You got one of the greatest directors of all time doing a Stephen King book adaptation. <laughs> like, of course it's gonna be like light years more iconic than something like Christine or Carrie. Yeah. We mentioned this um a little bit before, Matt, right before we started recording, we actually had a watch party with the Shining because Josh still needed to watch it. <laughs> oh gosh. I pointed out that I feel like the way that Stanley Kubrick took the source material for The Shining was very similar to the planned way that Hodorowski was going to take uh, Dune. Oh yeah, and it's just really interesting to see what filmmakers do when they take something and they're just willing to make their own thing out of it and not be worried about like, oh, but like this isn't exactly like the source material. We can't really do this because it doesn't fit the story. Yep, Shining's taking it. Yeah, yeah. So we've gotten through the whole bracket for the first time. Oh, sorry, Alden, were you going to say something? Uh, no, I don't think I was. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> all right, so it's moving on. We've made it all the way through the bracket, and now the next round, we're going to do a bit of a speed round. I'm just going to say the two movies, give us a countdown, so that way we can move into the Elite Eight and get through this a little bit quicker. Before we do that, Matt, I just wanted to congratulate you on getting the video version of your podcast up and running. It's awesome. Loved the first episode on video. Yay, thank you very much. Yeah, we're super excited that we're finally now on video. Uh, our next episode will be out next Tuesday. And when is this episode coming out? This will be on October 29th. Oh, okay, cool. Well, if you guys already know that there's an episode with Zane Jazzy that's out, along with the one with Jason, and I'm not sure who their guest is, but yeah, the video version is out. It's a hoot and a half uh, YouTube channel. Look it up. It's great. Also, I just uploaded a cool Super 8 video on my YouTube channel uh, as well, which is just Matt R. King. Check it out. I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, I loved your Super 8 video and like the the incorporation of like the song and all of that. It was it was so well edited. Yeah, dude, it was really great. It like brought Adam a whole bunch of listens on his music too as well. So we're real proud of it. I want to make more. I really like the name of the podcast, Hood and a Half. Yeah, me too. Thank you. I know I've had that like 
good name for like a really long time. Like if I ever start a podcast, it's going to be called Didn't Happen, Didn't Happen, Tyler Made It. So Dope. Well, obviously, we're linking Matt's stuff in the description. Check out his stuff. Definitely check out that Super 8 film if you if you like looking at like vintage aesthetics and, and like modern style. I it, it was great. Love the song as well. Yeah, I got to send you some footage just like from the lake trip as well. It looks really cool. I just like had to focus. Well, here we are. We're going through this second round. Nightmare on Elm Street. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Everyone's going to say their choice in three, two, one. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> we would all be clowns. <laughs> Who is the killer clown from outer space? All right. Up next, we've got Gremlins, the nice blend of horror and Christmas and the return of Living Dead, the uh, reinvention of the zombie. Ready? Three, two, one. It's Return of the Living Dead. Gremlins. 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 Oh, no. It's okay. I love Gremlins, too. It, this was the hard one for me. All right. Lost Boys, American Werewolf in London. Team Edward or Team Jacob? Ready? Three, <laughs> two, one. American Werewolf. It's American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Yeah, Team Jacob all the way. <laughs> Up next, we've got Creepshow versus Christine. Three, two, one it's it's creep show if you guys say christine i'm gonna be very fucking pissed yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah christine's cool but creep shows very diverse all right we've got the fly up against sleepaway camp ready three two one the fly it's the fly sleepaway camp i didn't say anything but i'm saying the fly Sleepaway camp so i gotta say the fly all right we've got evil dead 2 versus halloween 3 season of the witch ready three two one evil dead 2 halloween 3 season of the witch evil dead halloween 3 halloween 3 season of the witch oh you fucking ass I'm sorry. Once again, we are underrating the Evil Dead movies on this show. It's a running joke. We have snubbed them all month long. I feel really bad about it, but it's all right. One day we'll rank uh... Sam Raimi movies. Number one, the episode of The Chef Show where he makes sourdough. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors versus Child's Play. Three, two, one. Dream Warriors, 100%. Child's Dream Play. Warriors. Child's Play. Dream Warriors. That was three to two, right? It was three to two. Goodbye, Chucky. Psycho 2 versus The Shining. All right, Josh. <laughs> three, two, one. It's the, shining. the Shining. The Shining. The Thing. Psycho 2. Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast, the greatest horror movie of the 80s. Oh, guys, guess what? Dude, wait. I say. This is like a really random like side thing, but this is so funny. So the other day I was like on a run and I found a credit card on the ground and it was to this name. It was Zephyr, uh, Seagull, something, this kid's name. And I was like, who is this? I got to find him. I want to return this credit card. And I Googled the name and, and I found this article and it's like some young kid, but his dad played the beast in the 90s version of Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Whoa. That's crazy. Whoa. I thought I thought of you guys. I was just like, God oh, damn it, Beauty and the Beast just comes back into my life again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I returned the credit card to him, but it was just, I didn't tell him to ask him about the Beast, but it was just bizarre. So I got a credit card of the kid whose dad was the Beast. Anyways, let's move on. So you found the kid who played the, the, the kid's credit card whose dad played the Beast, and then you thought of the four Zoomers that think that Beauty and the Beast overrated <laughs> well thank you matt we're flattered we've got nightmare on elm street 
versus Gremlins. This is a debate. I'm I'm sticking with Gremlins. I am also going to stick with Gremlins only because we also have Friday, the, or not Friday, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 on the other side of the bracket. Ooh, right. Um, but yeah, I'll stick with Gremlins. I kind of want to fight for Nightmare on Elm Street, but at the same time, like, I get the love for Gremlins. Nightmare on Elm Street stands here. I will say, in terms of, like, still being scary, I think that Nightmare on Elm Street might be scarier, like if you were to watch them like back to back. But what I think really is great about Gremlins is like Poltergeist in a way, it's kind of like a gateway horror film. It's like one of those movies that when you're still like a young kid, you can watch it and not like have nightmares and be like a little crybaby. You'll still be like, oh, I like the way like the music works. And I like that it's scarier. And like, they're both great first horror movies. And I love gremlins gremlins was my first horror movie and i, I uh did not sleep that night when i finished gremlins i don't know why because you were afraid of it josh that's why it's probably because your dog looks like a freaking mogwai <laughs> <laughs> you were just always thinking like isn't it always technically past midnight should i never feed my pets <laughs> I, th- I think the scary part of gremlins like i didn't know it had horror elements going into it because my dad was just like oh i love gremlins just watching gremlins without any warning yeah my dad told me it was a christmas movie when we started watching it same with die hard why was my dad such a troll (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't a christmas movie at all yeah it was it took place during christmas alden what's your stance here die hard is not a christmas movie i i like gremlins a lot but i just don't think it's better yeah i was just shocked like how much I did enjoy Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, if you asked me, like, months ago, like, who I think, like, had, like, Freddy Krueger, Jason, and Mike Myers are kind of, like, your top, your, like, top tier, like, three, like, horror villains that is going to be all over, like, your Halloween stores. Freddy Krueger, I mean, the first Nightmare on Elm Street gave me a whole different perspective where, like, man, I really like how that was all set up. I thought the dream sequence was, like, well-directed and, like, well-shot. Like, it was suspenseful. I think, like, I, I don't really, like, get scared in horror movies, but I feel like if I showed this to, like, my sister or, like, some of my friends, they would legit, like, there'd be legit, like, jumps out of it or they would find stuff really creepy. I can't really say that for Gremlins now. Something I found scary as a kid the first time seeing it, but uh, I still really like the movie. But that's kind of why I'm going to- leaning towards Nightmare on Elm Street, because it's the pure 80s horror slasher movie. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm leaning towards it now, too. Before this episode, I asked some people what their favorite 80s horror movies were, and a lot of people did say Nightmare on Elm Street. You did the family feud, uh. Yeah, survey says... Nightmare on Elm Street is moving on over Gremlins. (laughs) All right. Up next, American Werewolf in London up against Creepshow. Team Jacob all the way. (laughs) Yeah, Team Jacob. Team Jacob. Yeah, I'm feeling that. Okay, which one's the more iconic movie? Like, which one do you think comes to mind first when you think of 80s horror movies? And, like, I, I think both of these movies deserve more appreciation than they get in today's age but i feel like i hear more people talking about american werewolf in london until like this creep show revival on like sci-fi was re- announced like relatively recently i never really met anyone my age that talked about creep show like i feel like it's one of those things where it's like oh yeah george a romero did a horror anthology movie in like 1982 and like no no one says that like no one talks about this movie yeah they say hey did you know matt king's dad was in a horror anthology <laughs> 
<laughs> Stephen King turns into a plant man. Stephen King was Poison Ivy before Uma Thurman. Stephen King should be Poison Ivy again, in my opinion. I'm kind of leaning Creepshow because of Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, that's probably my favorite story out of the whole thing. Leslie Nielsen, the guy from like Airplane, Naked Gun, if you guys have seen those movies. Dramatic actor, but he's known for his comedic work. He plays like this guy who kidnaps the main dude from Cheers and some random lady <laughs> and like buries them in the sand because like the lady's his wife and like the dude from Cheers was cheating on. It was cucking him essentially. So then he like buries them in the water and uh, they come back as zombies to try to kill him. And like, that's just one like, like one little 10 minute story. And there's, there's a bunch of little good, good stories, but I do think like, yeah, the, tr the werewolf transformation sequence, the consistent com comedic writing throughout and like the friendship between the, between the two main characters is something you don't typically get in like a horror film. So maybe American Werewolf in London should move. The poster uh, for an American Werewolf in their jackets make them look like Mario and Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> the Mario Brothers movie? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> an American Koopa in London. <laughs> An American Plumber in Paris. Something that I do think uh, should be said for American Werewolf in London also is uh, looking at what we have left. This is kind of our only like straight up monster movie on here. Like, you can make the argument for the fly where he's also turning into a monster, but I feel like a werewolf occupies a more, like, classic space in, like, zeitgeist. American Werewolf in London came out in 81. So you, you could kind of say this movie was the pathway into a very iconic thing in pop culture with the Thriller music video. Yeah, that's true. John Landis did direct the Thriller music video. Damn. Yeah, I just thought of that. So this movie kind of walked to have that iconic werewolf sequence. This movie gave Michael Jackson a pipe dream that the world would never recover from. <laughs> the main guy do be wearing a red jacket. He does have those yellow eyes and the teeth that Michael Jackson has at the end of that movie. Yeah, so when it comes to pop culture rel relevancy, I think an American werewolf in London little more important than we think yeah that's actually a really great point bravo josh bravo damn is this just my peak this episode <laughs> josh after missing last week's episode and having his worst outing ever on the carpenter list is back carrying this bracket on his shoulders with only seeing half of the movies uh the rick baker special effects and like makeup are incredible if you haven't seen american werewolf in london one of my recommendations of the week definitely check it out yeah, have you seen uh, have you seen the scene where he transforms? Because I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen that scene. Uh, no, dude, it's terrifying. It's like, oh, you feel like you are him, like transforms. Speaking of gross-out transformations, we've got the fly up against Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. This is a horror bracket first, I understand, but I think I'm gonna team up with Nate here because I think just mostly horror comes out in October. We're in October. It's spooky season. I think out of all the movies left, Halloween 3 feels the most like this is one I definitely will only want to watch in October. And I do think we need that kind of representation. I can kind of see your point. I think what works so well about Halloween 3 season of The Witch is like how it relates to the like holiday of Halloween and like like these themes of like like technology and things are all like underlying but at the end of the day it's like this one story about this guy who makes halloween masks and like like there's this plot to kind of take over what 
how Halloween is viewed and, and to kill most of the children out trick or treating and things like that. And there's, there's a lot of like really, really great concepts. And personally, I love the execution, but I think that this is a movie that you'd have to know someone who loves it in order to appreciate it. I think for Halloween three, I think if you're going into it, expecting a sequel to Halloween two, it's no wonder that this movie has the general reception that it does. Is this, is this where I phone grace? I just feel like if your introduction to the fly is the vice president debate where there is a fly on Mike Pence's head and then SNL does a sketch that's like, uh, the fly, like uh, that, yeah, that, that's a funny movie with, with Jeff Goldblum in it. And then you were to like turn on the fly right now, you'd enjoy what the movie's going for. You'd enjoy the creepy kind of transformation. You'd enjoy Jeff Goldblum's performance. You'd enjoy the practical effects and the body horror. But I don't know if a stranger, like someone who's never heard of Halloween 3 season of The Witch, someone who might be familiar with Halloween as a franchise could still sit down and watch this movie and be disappointed. So I feel like as, as much as I appreciate Season of the Witch, I feel like the five, the like the five of us. I feel like more people probably would prefer The Fly if they saw. The Grace movie. has something to say. <laughs> the first two <laughs> Halloween movies are so stupid. <laughs> the first one, there's like no. I got bored during it, and you can like predict everything. And how do you feel about Halloween Three: Season of the Witch? Grace, can I ask you one question? Okay, what? Do you think that you would have watched Halloween 3 if it weren't for Josh watching it? I don't think I would. I don't know. Because I felt like it was going to be like the first two. Yeah, see, that's... But you think it stands on its own as a really good movie without the others? I think the biggest detriment of it is that it was called Halloween yeah, 3. Absolutely. Yeah, but that's the issue. It It is Halloween 3. I just feel like there's so much baggage. But thank you, Grace. I 100% agree with you. Halloween 3 is a masterpiece. You're based, Grace. Don't worry. I've got to ask, Alden. Yeah. What's your take here? Kind of with Halloween 3, Josh made a compelling argument for it being a Halloween movie. Um, I don't generally watch horror outside of October, uh, with a few exceptions, but Halloween 3 is definitely, yeah, I'm going to watch this in October. I'm going to watch it with friends, family, whatever. Matt, what's your take? Uh, I mean, I'm conflicted. If you had the Halloween 3 versus the fly in front of me, I'm going to pick the fly because I'm more familiar with it. I haven't seen the Halloween 3. After this conversation, it's going to be the first movie i'm watching so i can really make sense of it but i mean it's just i feel like with anybody i think most people would pick the fly over halloween 3 but for us we can go with halloween 3 <laughs> but there's just no you know michael myers in it that much he's in it at all so you know if we're looking at you know, the horror movie icons and moving themselves up on this it's just this is where halloween 3 like, kind of loses it but that's just me that's just me i don't know dude i'm so quick. it's sort of like if friday the 13th 2 was if sleepaway camp was called friday the 13th 2 right exactly and it's not saying that that movie would be a worse movie it would be the same movie it would have like the same problems the same uh pros that it does now but with the sequel baggage that comes from an already established franchise i feel like it really bogs it down more than just the title yeah if this movie was literally just called halloween 2 season of the witch it would be perfectly fine but the fact that it's called halloween 3 season of the witch makes it just it has baggage even when it was released so not even just now it being a cult classic they still wanted to capitalize on the name of halloween 
because it's like, oh, John Carpenter is directing Halloween 3. He left for the second one, which was... He doesn't do the third one. He doesn't? No, he does the music and is one of the writers and produced it, but he didn't direct it. Bro, what the fuck even happened here? Why is this a Halloween movie? Because <laughs> it's fantastic and it's moving on. Okay. <laughs> I guess it was 3 to 2. All right. I do want to watch The Fly, though. That is, that's also been on my watch list for a while. It's really good. All right. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors up against Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. <laughs> It's the shining. Yeah. Is this even a fight? No. <laughs> I I'm probably the biggest fan of Dream Warriors here. Patricia Arquette's really good in it. It's one of her first performances. No way. Really? Oh wow. Damn, what's with Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh introducing like great, great, great actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like Dream Warriors a lot, but I think we have a better and more iconic, at least, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie already in the final four. The Shining's The Shining. Uh, if any movie was going to overthrow the thing, it was The Shining. And uh, it's got to move on. So our final four, the four greatest horror movies of the 1980s, are A Nightmare on Elm Street, An American Werewolf in London, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and The Shining. Here we go. I think this is a solid final four. I... Almost am. What was the one movie you were won the pool for? Really wish the thing didn't match up with The Shining. Yeah, we all do. Well, I don't. Damn it, Nate. I'm sorry. We would have had the fight eventually because they'd both win their quadrants. So why not get it out of the way at the beginning? Because they deserve to go to the end. <laughs> First fight of the final four is an American werewolf in London versus a nightmare on Elm Street. I'm leaning uh, Nightmare on Elm Street here. Yep, I agree. Nightmare on Elm Street is going to give you nightmares. It stays with you. It stays with you. And it's, I think it's just the ultimate horror movie if it comes to comparing it against American Werewolf. I mean, I'm Team Freddy on this. I'm Team Freddy. I'm Team Johnny. I think I'm going with Nightmare on Elm Street too. Of course, haven't seen an American Werewolf in London. Um, so I'll be more vocal on the other side of the bracket, but I don't know. It just seems, once again, this is the horror slasher bracket. I feel like Nightmare on Elm Street is the last true 80s slasher horror movie left on this bracket. So I would like to see it go forward. Yeah, it feels it would feel wrong not to have one of the like one of the three icons, the titans of the genre, not make it this far to the finals. And I'm really glad that it was Freddy. Yeah, I think it's really smart to design a horror movie around the element of sleep because it's like it's one of those things that's natural to the human body, but it's un unexplainable. It's like, wait, well, like, why do we need sleep thing? But then you add this element of, OK, well, here's a monster. Here's like. A story of something that can only harm you in your sleep and I, I think it's a cool like monster design I think Freddy Krueger as a character just gets progressively worse through as the movies go on but in this first one it's just creepy enough to keep you interested for its runtime and the ways he goes about killing in the first movie are all awesome i do think what makes this movie stand out compared to other movies of the time are the practical effects like the whole bed eating the guy and all the, like the blood is is dope but then also just like the shot composition and, and the cinematography is elevated compared to what like uh, someone else would do with the story and i think i think wes craven is the kind of guy whose movies need to be represented in a way so my favorite scene of the movie is kind of one that i like wanted to happen but i think it was going to happen is when they're in the um when she's in the the sleep uh doctor uh 
room and uh they're like testing like her wavelengths and i literally like thought in my head i'm like it would be really don't show the dream here and just show her reacting to it and then they did it and i wanted to like yell like fuck yeah like they actually like did what i was thinking would be cool so yeah i think there's a lot of really good scenes dope nightmare on elm street moving on to the final round up next we've got halloween 3 season of the witch versus the shining i'm more interested in hearing what you guys have to say about this than like my own take i love halloween 3 season of the witch and if there's a movie on here that i've watched the most it probably is season of the witch but in terms of like the competency of a movie i think dean cundy's cinematography is fantastic in halloween 3 season of the witch i think the music is also phenomenal by john carpenter but in terms of like there being a like a plot and a narrative and themes everything is very surface level in halloween three season of the witch and the shining is one of those movies you can go back to over and over again and find some other like layered piece of subtext or people will get extremely high and then make a documentary about every little thing that happens in the background and what it means or hints and there's people out there that think that the shining is a literal masterpiece a 10 out of 10 movie and i think anyone who loves halloween 3 season of the witch loves it for its faults as well loves that the main character is just some like boozy alcoholic dude that is sleeping around with every woman in the mood like every female character in the movie like horrible human being very funny main character for a horror movie um I, I don't know i just feel like like in terms of trying to compare these movies it, no question the shining is a better movie <laughs> okay cool i thought this was gonna get wild i kind of i kind of wanted it to get wild like give me your psycho t- Here's my Psycho 2 pitch for Halloween 3 Season of the Witch and why it is not only the greatest 80s horror movie, but the greatest horror movie of all time. Hell yeah. Give me your days of future past. Whoa, let's hear it. (laughs) Horror movies are best enjoyed around the season of Halloween, and I think that is an undisputed fact. But what I also think is an undisputed fact is there aren't too many movies where a the Halloween is a character within the film and less of just a theme or a time. And what I love about Halloween 3 Season of the Witch is that it goes into the backstory and the origins of Halloween through the villain, but then it also has this very modern take on consumer culture about this concept of needing to buy and needing to get candy and all these things that are very uh unorganic to what devil's night is all about through this story and as it's told with this kind of computer age uh underlying theme whether it be through the score through the visuals through the constant uh high angle shots monitor uh, mimicking that of like a security camera there's this kind of evolution in the holiday implying that this consumer driven holiday isn't the end but it's going to progress past that and as the main character starts trying to kill literally every single child on halloween there's this theme of rebirth toward the end and with the final shot of the movie just kind of cutting to black and not being aware of the outcome of literally 90% of the world's population of children there's this constant kind of reminder that something impending is next and to me 
that is a much larger scale narrative than a little dysfunctional family of three and a dad with alcohol problem. Therefore, alcohol problems that they didn't even show. Therefore, I think Halloween 3 season of The Witch needs to move on because it is the next step in the evolution of the holiday of Halloween. I was with you until that closer. <laughs> yeah, the last shot of Halloween 3, the last shot of, I think it could have been like, like it's kind of like a big what if of, what the Halloween movies could have been. It could have been something to really like look forward to every year in a really good way. It could have been like where every year would have this big like fan base, like come together and almost celebrate the holiday with a new story to tell. And I think it could have been really, really good. I also really like the last scene of the movie, Nate. I think it's like perfect <laughs> how it ends. So you guys wanted to hear my Psycho 2 pitch for uh, Halloween 3, and that was it. I don't actually feel that way. I think The Shining is still better in every conceivable way. Yeah, I, I was just going kind of silent on you, Nate, because I was just thinking, wow, Nate has really different tastes of this video, and I can't believe you're going to let him lose this. Wait, you, know, you need to do Psycho comment, but I still think I need come on, the pinnacle, the tip of the top. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> I feel like if The Shining doesn't move on here, we lose all credibility. Nate just had his Norman Bates moment. <laughs> so the final two movies, the greatest 80s horror movies of all time, Nightmare on Elm Street versus The Shining. These were actually the two, when I did the bracket myself, or the final two I had, so I'm really happy that we come down to these two. Um, and I'm still going to pick The Shining over Nightmare on Elm Street, it's just because of, it's just Stanley Kubrick. I mean, I, I just think The Shining is seriously like the masterpiece. It's like comparing like, like it's like a designer brand comparing to like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. So I don't know. I don't know. I... Yeah, I agree completely, Matt. Uh, the Shining might not have an iconic franchise horror movie villain in Freddy Krueger, but what it does have is Stanley Kubrick, taking what could have been just a by-the-numbers adaptation of a middling Stephen King story, um, a really intimate story that's just almost entirely in one location with the exception of like scenes with uh, Halloran coming back to the hotel. This could have been a very sterile movie, but St uh, not Stephen King, uh, Stanley Kubrick bringing his flavor of autourism to uh, the cinematography, to the direction of the actors, just really, really elevates this movie far beyond what it could have been. Yes, and that's you know, and that's the point of movies. It's supposed to challenge you and push your boundaries and make you think differently about what a movie is and it could be. And I think that's what it does with a lot of people. When you have Nightmare on Elm Street, you kind of know what you're getting into. You're gonna have in the monsters after you in your dreams don't get caught that's it the shining it's it's a different experience whether you know when it came out that's why so many people had so many different reactions to it because they didn't know what to feel and it stays with you and you constantly revisit it and discover something new about it and that's what's so terrifying you know it's scary when you're a kid and even as you grow as an adult you find new elements of horror in it, and it ages like fine wine it's what cinema is supposed to do and it's a perfect example of that if i said that Right, I need coffee. I agree. However, I'm going to play semantics and also devil's advocate at the same time because I'm the contrarian of this show, I think. I'm not sure. I like a good underdog story. I don't think, stylistically, The Shining feels anything like an 80s 
horror movie. I do agree that it's the better made of the two, and I would also agree the more cinematic in terms of themes and things to go back to. It is better in every way than Nightmare on Elm Street. But what we are trying to determine here is the best 80s horror movie. And I think in terms of tone, in terms of style, even in tone, in terms of genre, uh, the 80s were all about either gore, reinventing a genre that was kind of stale, or the slasher movie. And to me, I think Nightmare on Elm Street captures all three of those, whereas Shining doesn't really do any of them. Uh, Nate, do you hear those? You hear those police sirens? I think those are the cops coming to get you and arrest you right now. You're not letting the shiny. <laughs> They're coming for me for my shit. They're coming in the white coats for you. I think I think the Shinings probably took this. I think whatever won between the Shining and the Thing was going to take this whole thing. Believe it or not. I thought so too. That's why my bracket that I made before this is just the Thing all the way up. I think it's really funny. The two movies I decided to watch this morning are in the final two. <laughs> 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 yeah, Josh, this would have been really awkward if you didn't watch The Shining right before we started. Yeah, I have to step out and I know that this is going to be over by the time I get back. So nice having you back on the podcast again, Matt. Hey, dude, thank you so much for having me back. We got to definitely do this again in the future. I will talk to you guys. So you teased it last time you were on, Matt. Disney Channel original movies. Oh, yeah. I haven't done that though yet, right? No, and we weren't going to. We reserved it for you specifically. Good, good. Cause, yeah, because there gets a there gets a moment in these podcasts where, yeah, I get a little quiet because I still don't know a, a lot of you guys in person. And so I'm like, I just, I mean, I could dive into them right now, but I just want to treasure this for friendship, keep this going. Because when the Disney Channel original movie episode is, that's when I'm really going to have at it with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it, Matt. If you heard the Tarantino bracket, like, as mad as I got at Kiernan, I would still hang out with Kiernan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah day of i invited someone these guys had never heard of or met onto the show and uh he had some scorching takes it was one of the most heated episodes Nate, we gotta have like get our own weekend and go to the house like when no one else is there and just like our own like week of movies and debating them into like an actual podcast there that'd be really cool that would be a dream i'd love to do it. that would be super based we're kind of doing that next weekend actually the episode concluding this is going to be our first live in person episode in since the debut whoa that's awesome instead of a beautiful lake house we have my basement and screen here you have it the winner of the duel of the takes 80s horror bracket is none other than stanley kubrick's the shining and in two weeks we're going to be ranking stanley kubrick's movies be prepared for some hot takes then thank you again matt for joining us be sure to check out hoot and a half if you haven't already i'm assuming if it goes anything like last last uh time matt was on it's probably going to be mostly people that are familiar with hoot and the half checking out our show but thank you Matt, again, for joining us. I, I love having you on. I cannot wait to talk Disney Channel Originals with you. <laughs> I love being on here. I can't wait for Matt to finally get heated. <laughs> I can't wait for you to yell at me. Like, legit, Matt, after you left, after we record the Disney Renaissance episode, we all literally went, that was the best episode. Oh, no way. Oh. I definitely, though, when the Disney Channel original movies, we got to figure out, like, a year bracket because like, there is, like, a certain year where, like, after 2000, we can't, 2004, I feel like it's where we should cut it off. Yeah, because, like, some of that, or, oh, there's a lot. There's, like, 110, but. Would the first, would the first, like, High School Musical be the good cutoff? Because I feel like that's when, like, it shifted. Ooh, yeah. Yes, I think so. If we do a bracket, we can talk about all of them because I have a feeling there's going to be a lot. Right, but should I throw the list down or do you want 
You can totally narrow the list down if you want to just make it the ones that you have talking points on, because that's pretty much what I did for this 80s horror movie bracket. <laughs> Alright guys, I'm out of here. Thank you so much for having me. Love you guys. Keep doing this. I'm so proud of you. I love this. This is great. Proud of you too, Matt. Thank you, man. Thank you for coming on, man. Alright, peace out. Peace. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Duel of the Takes. If you haven't already, check out the Duel of the Takes YouTube channel, where we have highlights of every episode, bonus lists, as well as comedy sketches, and more. Also, give us a follow on Instagram. We do interactive stories, daily movie and pop culture memes. Also, when we record, if we ever need a tiebreaker, we go live on Instagram to you, our audience, to get an answer. Also, if you want to be a part of the discussion, check out our Discord channel for movie debates, hot takes, gaming moments, etc. Be sure to check out Matt's YouTube channel in the description below, as well as the new video version of his podcast now live on YouTube. Next week will be our first episode recording live and in person since February, and we will be ranking every Star Wars movie.